This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I should say host, but also realtors in Vancouver at Oakland Realty. That's and, right. And uh, we have a fantastic episode today. We have Byron Chard. He is the president and CEO of Chard Development, and he was gracious enough to join us in studio this week. What a great conversation. Such a great conversation. So great having Byron down. The funny thing is, is he's been on our show before, past guest fan favorite. He's right. been on the commercial podcast a couple of times. That was the first time I've ever met Byron face to face. So it was great. Uh, and I feel the conversation was, was it's always a great conversation, but it was better for it. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, always, it's it's funny, but we've known Byron now for a couple of years. And uh, yeah, getting someone in studio is always a treat because it's, yeah, you're right. The conversation flows better. You can always kind of double down on ideas. And uh, anyways, it's a great episode. Byron is one of the, uh, I remember thinking this, one of our first conversations with him, he's got a background, he's a CA. That's right. But the way he analyzes deals and thinks about things, super interesting. It makes you think that being a CA in real estate development is one of the most powerful skills you could have. Same with Eric Carlson. Yeah. From Anthem, who was on the show as well. I, I agree. You know, one thing I've been thinking a lot about since we talked to Byron, I mean, there's so many things, so many takeaways here. But just the the scope right. of his kind of thinking in a day and the various kind of factors and different asset classes and 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 all the rest makes me think, man, they say it misses a generation sometimes, the the kind of business sense, the business savvy. Clearly it didn't hear. But if you were Byron's old man, right, there is a huge chance, almost ninety-nine percent chance that uh, if you passed on a business like that, the wheels are coming off pretty quick. And Byron seems to be uh, the exact opposite of that and actually scaling and growing, which is kind of an incredible, incredible feat in and of itself. We should also say that you're hot into uh, season three of Succession. So you've been thinking a lot (laughs) about this. I've been thinking a lot about Succession plans. Yeah, and and, uh, we should also say, you know, all things considered, when you listen to him talk about numbers, uh, man, it makes me uh, feel bad about dropping out of IB math <laughs> all the way down to G math. Uh, but anyways, uh, how was your long weekend, by the way? We had a we well, we didn't. I don't. I worked uh, two of the four days, but right. a lot of people in in BC took the full four. Yeah, our our mother, our mom, who who was in the U.S., uh, just got back. She lives in Sycamore, so I, I took my daughter and went and saw her. And yeah, it's amazing. You know, we we the markets, as we've talked about on the show, picked up considerably. Right. So it's like going from like 120 miles an hour to about minus five. I don't even know. It's like in terms of the pace of life, pace of life. Yeah. It's like, it's like not even standing still. It's minus, minus standing still. You're just doing crosswords, playing Wordle. A lot of, uh, a lot of relaxing. Let's put it that way. Right. Yeah. 
Right? Yeah, yeah, it was great. It was great. What about you? I because you didn't go to Sycamus. I didn't go to Sycamus, but I did have two days with the kids. I'd both uh, well, uh, my my oldest daughter was home from daycare. No daycare on Friday or Monday or Easter Sunday. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's when we bring in a full time babysitter. Uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, you're, you're at the daycare yeah. at eight a.m. on Easter yeah. Sunday. Like, I, yeah. what's going on? Where is uh, everybody? Yeah. No, but I'm I'm teaching her how to skateboard. Uh, which which is funny enough. Uh, we've we've talked about skateboarding on this show. We both grew up skateboarding uh, with our other brother as well, and it's often linked to uh, a lot of people that grew up skateboarding have ended up in real estate. And in a lot of ways, they, they attribute the, the skateboarding around the city, you know, sitting on curbs, you know, especially street skaters, right. right. Where you're kind of, you're constantly just, you're spending long days in the sun, usually in one spot or like two or three spots, but you're recognizing buildings, you're recognizing areas and you're, it's almost like cycling in that way too. Like where you just see the city differently when you're kind of skateboarding around. So anyways, I heard that now. I've heard that twice. I just actually listened to a podcast where a guy was talking about that. We also Whoa. heard that from uh, New York Times bestseller. His name's escaping me, but you're you're bringing it up. Right I'm going to bring it up because he wrote that great book. Um, yeah, you keep working on that. But anyways, I so I'm teaching my daughter how to. We did like a 45 minute conversation about skateboarding. It was in, almost in the, the entire urban time geography, right? Yeah, Connor. But, Connor Doherty. Yeah, yeah, Connor Doherty, which was a great episode if you want to go back. The and, Golden Gates was his uh, the title of his book. Yeah, which is a phenomenal book and really well received. Anyways, but the point is, is that I, I took her out skateboarding at um, McLean Park. There's right. a water park that's not on. So it's it's almost like a little mini bowl. So then I, I, you know, I'm ripping around on it and I'm feeling, getting pretty confident. She's like, you're, you know how to like, you know, and she's surprised that I can even stand on it, um, which uh, these days, anyways. So then I get a little bit uh, more confident. I did a standing still kickflip and busted my ass so bad. (laughs) I literally like, it was like, it was like, I'm so glad nobody caught it on tape because it would be like viral. They'd be like like cropping me into a fail video. video. No, it's like, I can't even imagine what I looked like because I flipped backwards so hard. Like it was so jarring. Uh, My wife thought I like died. Uh, We're talking about like a standing still kickflip. Uh, I can the, almost the, hear it like, I'm all yeah, right, I'm, I'm all right, I'm, I'm okay. Right, I'm yeah, right. I bounced back up because I was like worried about everybody at the park watching. But uh, long story short, man, I like three years ago, we used to talk about like the land the yacht seawall, in, yeah. and go doing the seawall. Now I feel like if I caught like a stone and did one of those, like, you know, where you, you jet forward and you throw the board out and you, you know. I, I'd be like out of commission for weeks. I was just... Uh, How old did I get in the, the last three years? At the Canucks game uh, yeah. a week or two ago with a guy who's a a rep for Norco, like from 85. Like he's like nearing the, the end of his career. Yeah, like he grew with, with downhill mountain biking from... You know, like literally, I think he graduated at UBC in 87. So it was like, like Bo Jarvis and Whistler. Like yeah, exactly. He had, the, he had the whole run. Exactly. And the only thing I said to him was, I can't imagine ever actually tr- even trying that because of the potential for, you fall off a mountain bike or a skateboard now. Yeah. It's like, Game's see over. you next year. Like literally see you next year. Because you're not going to, any injury is like, you're probably out nine months. But also it now makes sense because I even think like, man, if I like, fortunately, it was just that it wasn't even that I I hurt myself that bad, but it just the jarring motion of like 
landing on yeah. your ass so hard. <laughs> oh, it was like, just, oh, okay. Like, I thought you, yeah, I thought I, you hit I, your head or something. No, no, no. I kind of like, but, but it's just the, the impact, right? Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, yeah. Anyways, long story short, uh, great weekend. it was a great weekend. <laughs> I, I think she lost a little bit of faith in her teacher. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of respect for her dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that wasn't necessarily there to begin with. Uh, anyways, Matt, I can't wait for this conversation with Byron, but I also want to just uh, mention the sold plan, which is we've had a ton of people sign up for the sold plan. Of, of course, sold stands for start on launch date. It's a it's a way to to pick a date for when you plan to list and work your way backwards. It's basically instructional how to get your property ready for the market. Well, th- here's the thing. And I've been thinking about this a lot because we've had so many people reaching out and I really think it comes down to our new website, which we've talked a lot about, but there's bright buttons on this website. Sell with us, help with selling. You hit those buttons. You can literally download the sold plan. It's immediate in download form on the website. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Turns out you get good content, really useful resources and make it easy for people and uh, they respond. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Matt, I think we should get to this. This is a a long one. I think we kept Byron around here for about an hour. So uh, maybe we should cut to this interview. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Berquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Byron Chard, President and CEO at Chard Development. How you doing, Byron? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Well, second time, but it's the first time in the studio, so we we can say past guest fan favorite for sure. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and thanks for coming down, Byron. Maybe for our guests that missed you last time on the show, and you've been on the commercial show a couple times as well, can we start by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I'll start with Chard Development and I'll wind or weave myself into that conversation. So Char Development, we're a family-owned developer based in Vancouver. We do quite a bit of work in Vancouver and Victoria. Currently, we have just over 2,500 homes. Just over 2,000 of those are rental in development. Um, we have a couple hundred, which are affordable condos in Victoria. Uh, and then we also have market condos. Uh, we also have three commercial buildings, one which is a hotel, which is the first hotel being built in Victoria in close to 25 years, which is quite exciting. Wow, wow. Um, and so we're a team now of just under 50 individuals in our 
office. Uh, we have, or we're becoming more and more fully integrated. We, so we have in-house property management, asset management, uh, marketing sales. So we do our own sales in Victoria. Um, and then obviously construction development, uh, although we do outsource with a general contractor for construction, that's part of our risk mitigation. I took over the company now four years ago from my father, who is enjoying the fruits of his labor. And so my background is I'm an accountant. Um, I worked for Ernst & Young back in 08 when the, I was called the crash started. And uh, I know my colleagues there joke with me because they never saw me because I was sent down to Dallas for two years, which was fascinating. Really enjoyed it. Lehman Brothers had recently collapsed and I was on that real estate file valuing those assets to a fund that they were sold to in Dallas. So it was, I didn't appreciate what I was seeing at that time. Right. Um, the pain that the real estate market can have and the true lives that it impacts. And I would say that really does impact my decision-making today. And so after EMY, I worked for another developer uh, and now it's been just over nine years with the family company. Right. Having a background as a CA, is that, you think, a valuable background for someone going into real estate development? So if you asked me that when I was 22 and going through the CA, uh, <laughs> I would say I would not recommend it to anyone to go through it. Um, now, 10 years or plus later, I would say absolutely. It gives you a foundation of numbers because at the end of the day, development is all about how do you make a performer work. I'm a, a true, I call it risk mitigator. I'm about making our projects, our returns for our partners and risk mitigation for the bank. Um, and so for us, we are, as long as we can make a performer work, I don't need to sell at the top of the market. I don't need to try to get the best price and set records. I need a performer to work. And for us, it's about providing a risk-related return back to our partners. Um, and so for us, it's just balancing that. Right. We are a different type of developer here in Vancouver that we do use outside capital. And so it is a mix for us of just how we go about structuring a lot of our deals. And that's where it's been fun as an accountant, looking at working with BC Housing, working with not-for-profits like the YWCA, and of how do we best structure a deal? Because the debt ultimately makes up 70 to 80, sometimes 90% of your capital. And so it's just how do you allocate that accordingly? Right. And in maybe just a, a brief uh, history, if you can, on on Chard. And also, uh, we were joking when before we turned the mics on that I've had many people over the years say, oh, yeah, I know Chard. They're a developer based out of Victoria, which you're not, right? We are not. We are very honest about that. We are based <laughs> in Vancouver, but our marketing team has done a fantastic job of having that local flavor in Victoria. But I... I Really, that's my father. Um, he is so relationship-driven and loves Victoria. And so it is that handshake-type mentality that drives us um, of why I would say we're so branded in Victoria. It is also because we have been working there for 20 years now. Right. Um, but it's really about how my father created the company, the culture, and that vision and mission that he put in place. I would say a lot of it is still with us today. And so the background of where we were, how we started was that he found a parking lot uh, that made financial sense in Victoria and thought, this is a really good deal um, <laughs> versus what parking lots were selling for in Vancouver. Uh, formerly, he was working in Toronto at that time. And he came up with a vision of a, at that time, I think it was around 10-story condo building. And it, he just rolled a condo after condo for a good uh, 10 plus years. Uh, from there, that's, normal, that's when I started to join the company. Um, he had a few active projects at that time um, in Victoria. Uh, so I really got to cut my teeth 
we were just finishing a building. Uh, he sent me over onto the island and he basically said, you can't come home until you sell a condo. Uh, so I worked with our sales team there. They trained me up. One of our sales manager at the time, she gave me a great analogy, which we use all the time in the office today, which is we build a piggy bank with our purchasers. Typically, you're going to take a withdrawal at some point, but you always want to end positive. And so it's how do we build that relationship with everyone we work with so that when we do have to call a favor, or if let's say there, there is a deficiency in the unit, that it will be still ending on a positive balance uh, with anyone that we work with. When you were a kid, real estate, was it a conversation around the dinner table? Or was it, did you feel like you were just kind of learning by osmosis? It's more osmosis. I don't remember significant conversations at the dinner table of being actively involved in the conversations. But as true real estate, uh, my father was always on the phone and, and always thinking and talking with my mother as well. And so they were always a great team. And my mother was always a great sounding board for my father and that relationship. And I, um, and so seeing that conversation and dynamic, I think that's where I learned a lot of just hearing what was going on. And I don't think I appreciated what I was hearing, but it was also that as my father has been a great mentor, continues to be of just, he brought me to those initial meetings. He brought me to everything when I started learning about from how do we do banking as a company to how do we negotiate a contract with a general contractor? Uh, and so I was, I felt, feel so lucky still and privileged to be where I am and the opportunity I have to have a fantastic foundation reputation with the company that he started. And now I've, I've been in the spot of scaling it and really using that foundation, which was him. Um, and he always joked me is he didn't want to grow a, a staff team. Um, and now I've essentially taken who he was and just built a team around it. One thing that, um, and I'm not even sure how to ask this question, but what strikes me is you're in different markets, and this goes back to what we were talking about before we we hit record. But you're in a few different markets, but you know you're you're working with BC Housing, you're working with multiple different asset classes. Like hotels, strike me as very different than residential. Obviously, you're in office space. How different do those performers work? And like, are you are you bringing in people from those different areas? to build out those teams? Is that how you're even getting to that kind of fundamental level of understanding? Or or was that your your father? Or Because it does seem like a very complicated day-to-day for you. A lot to unpack with that question. So the first part I would say on how did we get there on the different asset classes? Uh, my father started in the commercial side. So we always have had diversity through office as well as residential. So we feel very comfortable on building office, if it's strata office, if it's for a lease office. Um, we have obviously completed two strata office buildings in Mount Pleasant mm-hmm. uh, over the last five years. So we felt comfortable in that different asset class. When it comes down to designing the buildings, I think a hotel is actually a better representation of a rental building than a condo building is. Uh, and oh, the, interesting. And the reason why is that you're building a business. When you're building a rental building, it's about keeping your operating costs low um, it's about creating a great amenity experience. It's about people in, enjoying coming to the building. And you also you're selling all your product or leasing in this case at a finished building standpoint, just like a hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's really about operational efficiency at the end of the day for a rental building. And that's where the hotel um, analogy really comes in. On the performance standpoint, completely different. And that's where it's taken a little bit of learning, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel very comfortable now. We can underwrite hotels, rental, essentially any asset class. We feel very comfortable underwriting, understanding, and where to get the information from. 
I'm just, just before we move on here, I just, the first hotel in 25 years in Victoria, how, how has it been received and how has it been working with uh, the municipality on it? So let's unwind that question as well. Cause we started this about six years ago now. <laughs> um, this, we won an RFP with the university of Victoria uh, for a property they have downtown Victoria. Um, at first the vision was a condo building with a student housing project. Um, we were asked, well, we are in a heritage area. Uh, we have two heritage buildings on site. Um, we were asking for too much density. And so we scaled it back. Um, I was in Chicago at the time for a hotel that we are building in Vancouver, um, in the district of North Vancouver that we're proposing. And we were meeting with Hyatt at the time and in the back of a van. And I was thinking of the site and hearing about the numbers and this site works in Victoria for a hotel. Um, and from there, the hotel was born. Oh, interesting. Um, it was literally on a calculator on the back of an envelope in a van. Right, it was things kind of coming together like, and you were thinking about hotels at the time. Yeah. The site kind of crossed. I, I quickly learned what RevPAR and ADR and all these hotel terminologies of how we underwrite revenue. Um, so take your average room rate with your occupancy. That's your RevPAR. I was like, oh, okay, this is all making sense. Um, and it was, this actually will work as a hotel. And from there... Three years later in a rezoning process, because again, we have to get through the heritage. Uh, we're ready to start construction in about two months. And is the plan to, do you, you create, you create this business and then you retain or do you sell the business or what, what's the goal there? So this has been a significant pivot for our company. We now retain. Okay. Um, and so we retain with also operating the building as asset managers in the hotel case or in rental buildings, property manager and asset manager. And just before we get to the kind of nuts and bolts of <laughs> the real estate market, <laughs> what we asked you to come talk about, um, it is worth noting because this was part of the conversation before we went live, but how complicated all these numbers uh, and the uh, the different, the pro formas and all the rest, it's worth noting that you're more comfortable thinking about a exploring a new asset class and you are exploring a new municipality because <laughs> if you want to get complicated, it's learning the ins and outs of of figuring out how to negotiate personalities and bylaws and politics, basically. And surprisingly weighted around tree removal. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Sensitive topic in Victoria for me. (laughs) So for us in, so I had a strategy about five years ago, I put into place that we were going to focus on city of Vancouver, city of Victoria and the North Shore. Um, So when brokers call me, what are you looking for? I had very specific answers of this is what we want. Um, and my promise to every broker is if we aren't a yes, we're going to be a really quick no. So call me because uh, we will get back to you really quickly. And so from there, that's when we started to really build those relationships in city of Vancouver. We already had those in Victoria. So those were just continuing uh, those relationships. But otherwise, it's really focusing on understanding the different policies, watching the council meetings. Normally, about a year out before council uh, or a municipal election, we stop buying rezoning sites. It's just too much risk for us to be looking of how the policies could change. Uh, the Broadway plan is a fantastic example, I think, of that was voted in by the last council. We just saw the pace of change um, get rejected by this council. But finally, those letters of inquiries from those developers are going to start to get responses soon. Um, but that's eight months now. Um, and so the, the timelines when you having a municipal change, um, it's just it's too much risk for us. Um, and so that's where we start to buy DP sites. And and that's where, like in Victoria, in December, we closed on a quite a large acquisition that we're going to build 450 rental units that had all, all permits in place. Uh, and so for us, 
is really we tailor our acquisition strategy to election cycles. It's so important that they are such a player in our, our, in our industry that we really pay attention to it. Mm. That's fascinating. So maybe changing gears a little bit, Byron, how is the market? I would say dynamic. Um, dynamic in every asset class. But we are starting to see life in almost every asset class over the last two weeks. Um, it's something that we've not seen in six plus months of my phone is ringing with opportunities, uh, with people actually looking to buy. If it's strata office, if it is um, for lease product, if it is condos, uh, we are definitely seeing an interest across the board. And I would say that is, we are starting to see stability. And I think at the end of the day, that's what people are seeking. Uh, money uh, is really scared of volatility. Um, and that's what we've all ultimately been in for close to a year of trying to understand when is the interest rates going to stop increasing? Where's inflation going to be? What are the employment numbers? How is our banking system? And I think in the, the day, what we've seen with the banking system in the US, those two banks ultimately failed because of poor management. Um, so from everything I've heard from a lot of smart people smarter than me in the banking industry and from what I've read, it's, it really was a, a poor management and risk strategy from those two lenders. And we are in such a better position here in Canada with our regulatory environment with our banking system. And when I've talked to our different lenders, they are confident in its business as is. Yes, the stress testing, while we all complained when it came into place, it has, I say, done its job. Um, it has kept us in a healthy environment. Um, I think as a developer, it's also helped us on risk mitigation for the individuals who are buying two, three years out. Uh, they are getting stress tested when they purchase. So when they sign that contract, and so that we know they're going to be there at closing most likely. So it is a risk mitigation, I think, approach to the market. And we are starting to see people feel confident to make the decisions. And they, they feel like interest rates will be down in 12 months, 24 months. And that's what all banks are projecting too, which means that we're starting to see pre-sales uh, start to move again. Mm -hmm. Are you more bullish now than you were six months ago? Bullish with regards to acquisitions or with our product transaction? Uh, maybe the market in general. Um, and I, but actually, and then maybe acquisitions and your product. So, so definitely our product, I feel a lot more confident in. Um, but that's also because I would say I like to compare Char to other developers. I think developers, an easy analogy is you can put a car manufacturing type on us. I like to say that we're a Volvo. We're going to be safe, reliable. Somewhat boring, um, but you know exactly what you're going to get and your investment will be safe with us because ultimately a purchaser of any pre-sale, you're investing with us. Uh, we're there to make sure your investment um, is safe in the long term. I'm really proud of how Eleanor and Ellsworth, two Main Street projects for us, have performed, how they're reselling. Mm -hmm. uh, and so those initial purchasers have done well in their investments. And so that's something that we monitor as well because at the end of the day, we want everyone to succeed. Um, and especially if you're buying pre-sale from us, we want that to be a strong investment for you. Um, so I am feeling more and more confident um, in the market in Vancouver. And with that said, the fundamentals have always been here. Um, so we know it's it's going to come come back. And I would say it never really went. It was just people were on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so that's where now I think we're starting to see that confidence come back to the market. For acquisitions, it's still not there yet. I would say developers are not transacting um, as much as we would typically see in a market. The expectations between vendors and purchasers are still not 
there. Uh, let's also not forget construction pricing is still quite expensive. Uh, we're, while we're seeing the supply chain improve, we're now seeing the cost inflation on labor. So I'd say that the material decrease is getting offset right now by increases in labor. I, I would just, uh, for this next question, just kind of thinking about cities and secondary markets, I, I had a, a call with an agent who I work with in the Valley, and he was saying that almost everything in the Valley for detached and for, for townhome products, a lot of it is selling in multiples right now. It's really busy. We talked a lot on the show about how COVID kind of drove people out to the valley and that now what the expected pattern would be is that people would come back to the city and the valley might be a soft market, but it doesn't actually seem to to be following that trend per se in some scenarios. What are your thoughts on kind of the rebound coming out of COVID, but also where do you think we're going to see the growth and the demand in, the, in Metro Vancouver in the next uh, one, three to five years? I think in all the markets, we're going to see that demand. So it's across the board. It's across the board. Uh, and that's really due to the immigration. It's due to Vancouver is a fantastic place to live. Um, BC in general is the best place to live in the world. Um, and especially now that people are traveling and then coming back home, I think everyone appreciates Vancouver even more. But I, I think that trend of people moving out to the valley is going to continue. However, Vancouver in general, people are coming back downtown. People are coming, living in East Vancouver, living on the North Shore. So I don't see that. I think it's every market is feeling that pressure because it's just the way of life of people's life cycles that the individuals who are 25 to 35 still want that white picket fence for when they have kids. And so they're still moving out to the valley. While we are also seeing household household formations decrease, less people in households having less kids. Um, and so that's where we're seeing some of those individuals stay within Vancouver. Um, and I know you've had some fantastic podcasts recently with Rennie uh, with Wendy Waters. Um, And so them sharing some of that data, I think is really useful. Just kind of those immigration trends are driving all asset classes. And just we have an aging demographic too. And we can't forget that. And again, let's take East Vancouver, where I know a few of our staff team lives and they are living now in single family homes. However, they're parents want to stay within the neighborhood because that's where they all grew up. And so now they're looking for condos in that area because uh, they want they don't want that backyard to clean anymore, but they want really want to be close to those grandchildren. It's making sure that we have supply for a variety of demographics. Um, and I think that's so important and it's overlooked sometimes in the city process. Uh, we're very focused on building it for these family condos, but I think we we have to focus on the aging population just as much. So we should stop talking about it as like a dichotomy of either <laughs> the Valley or Vancouver. It's just, it's just everywhere. Yeah. It, yeah. It's Metro Vancouver. And because at the end of the day, investment and money doesn't see municipal boundaries. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Uh, maybe I'll put it to you a different way, Byron. If I could give you $2 million right now to buy, and I say 2 million so you can uh, take a swing at, single family home in East Van. Um, but if I could give you $2 million and say, Metro Vancouver, what you get one shot, what's the best residential investment right now? What would you be buying? I would be trying to purchase, I, will, I, I think it's an income producing property um, and it would be a, a small scale rental portfolio. I, I do believe that 
there's going to be a significant amount of pressure on rental rates still. Unfortunately, every policy is getting in place from municipal, provincial, and federal. While they have the best intentions, they're unfortunately just driving more people into rental housing, um, let alone the immigration. So I think rental is going to be where the best investment is. I think we are getting to the point where rental rates are actually reaching to the level of where condo prices have kind of come down to. So mm-hmm. we're seeing that that investment back into pre-sale, back into condos is making sense because the rental rates are covering your payments. Right. And so that's kind of, that's highest and best use now. And so that's where I think the best opportunity sits there on a secondary rental market or a purposeful rental building even. Um, I think there is opportunities there. And it's funny because we we brought up Wendy Waters, but she was just on the show and one of her stats that really stuck with us was this idea that since 1990, we've brought in 1.2 million new people into the region, but we've only built 7,700 purpose-built rental units. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, I know you you work with people at the provincial level or you, you're working with policymakers. Do we have a, a good understanding of, of what's actually required to, to bring more rental housing on the market? Do you think it's going to be successful? And then also is Chard focusing on market rental um, as part of the portfolio? So I'll answer the last one first. Uh, so for us, rental is our biggest part of our portfolio now. So with just over 2,000 rental homes, uh, that has been a major focus for us. Um, part of that is due to the pension funds that we work with. Um, and having that opportunity to work with them is is also a privilege. And, and so looking to build out large-scale rental buildings uh, with highly amenitized so that it is a way of life and it is not just a phase of life. And I think that rental culture mm. is one of our biggest issues here in Canada in general. If you talk to someone in the U.S. and say, where are you from? They'll say, I've lived in St. Louis, Boston, L.A. Um, I might be moving down to San Francisco soon. In Vancouver, they will say, I've lived in Burnaby, <laughs> North Vancouver, the West End. That's yeah. interesting. So in Canada, there's a there's a there's a different kind of mobility. Sure. I, I've never really thought of that in terms of the different kind of cultures. But you're right. Like last time I was in Arizona, the Uber driver she'd been yeah from Vegas to she'd been all over the place. It's a very different culture, uh, and so we we have to make sure we're building a product to that culture and and those trends. But I do think. In, in the U.S., homeownership isn't as, it's a lower percentage of the population, I believe, uh, compared to Canada. Uh, that is our culture here is you buy a home. And, and so it's, I also think where we've seen such a run-up in real estate in general, I think that that is going to slow. The transaction costs of real estate have gone up significantly. Mm-hmm. Every policy, again, that we're getting seen put into place, place is limiting that how much you're actually going to be making on your return on some of your investments. And that's where I think rental is, is just driving more people into rental. And so again, uh, that's where I think the a strong investment is and we're land constrained. Um, let's, let's not forget that. Um, and that we see a lot of interprovincial and a lot of, um, international immigration coming into Vancouver. Interesting. So we, we've gone up approximately, I'm thinking one beds in downtown and kind of the, the collar surrounding downtown have gone up roughly 25, 30% or so in the last year, year and a half. Do you think we're going to be like, are we looking at double, double digit percentage increase, uh, increases on rents in, if you had to predict in the next few years? Unfortunately, I think we are. Yeah. Um, I, I think it really comes down to just a lack of supply, a uh, lack of the right supply. And so back, I know I skirted around the policy question, but I think the, 
the policies that we have getting put into place is the governments need to help focus on the debt side of encouraging projects to get finance for purpose-built rental. At the end of the day, a purpose-built rental project is all about debt and how much equity you need. So in comparison, a, a rental building, we need 30, sometimes up to 40% of equity compared to a condo building. Potentially, we only need 10 to 15% of our equity uh, of that capital stack as equity. So it's a significant difference. And then let's also not, not forget for rental, we're writing a 5% check to the federal government for GST 30 days after we get occupancy, no income in place, while in condos, the purchaser's buying, paying for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, significant difference on the performa. How you underwrite a rental building is Why so on tight. earth? I mean, it just, the GST thing seems like such a no-brainer where there's a housing crisis across the entire country that they wouldn't be thinking about some sort of rebate on, on actually providing rental housing to the Canadian market. Like it seems. And I, I'm hopeful that our provincial government may be looking at something like that um, to try to offset from the federal side. It's making the federal government a lot of money right now. And I will try to hold my political views, but they have an addiction to spending, it seems right now. Uh, and so we are helping fund that um, through the GST payments. So for us, it is, um, as an accountant, that's a sensitive topic. I, I have words about that GST that I can't say on this podcast. It's not the most <laughs> diplomatic response. <laughs> I have to be sensitive on this one. <laughs> Uh, are you bringing projects as quickly to market right now as like we we've been talking a lot about stalled projects over the last year? Well, now, and you mentioned acquisitions as yeah. as being fairly slow. Now is it kind of like let's let's go? Or is that kind of the sentiment you're feeling? And I know it's only been a few weeks, but and it's not necessarily <laughs> a trend. But it's clear that the sentiment has changed. So for Chard, we have delivered every single project we've ever brought to market. Actually, any any project we've ever rezoned, we've actually delivered. And we do that also for our reputation at city halls. So that when I'm in front of council and making a promise, I can look them in the eye and we'll deliver on it. Uh, I think that's really important. And our partners also are well aware of that obligation we're giving and, and they work with us from that standpoint. I still think, so once you make the go decision, you're still months away from launching. It takes a lot of work and to get those wheels moving on a launch. These are typically large projects, large investments, especially when you look at um, Burnaby and some of those towers. Um, those are big buildings and you need a lot of pre-sales. So Chard has never worked in 30 to 50 story condos. We have typically stayed around the range of 100 to 150 units. I'd say that's my sweet spot for condo projects. I know that I will be able to get pre-sales. So I know that I can get a shovel in the ground, be fairly close to the timelines, if not bettering sometimes our timelines that we tell purchasers. It's that obligation, the trust um, that we're building so that I know when we are actually doing that pre-sale, I'm going to be building that building. Uh, and that anyone coming through at Sales Sanders can have confidence that we'll deliver and they'll get a great product on time for it. You know, thinking about delivering product and, and building, I'm just wondering, uh, I think it was on the commercial podcast talking about the challenges in the development community and how they've shifted over the last Mm. year with rising interest rates. And you just mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, that wage increases now. It it seems like, okay, supply chain's loosening up, but wage increases. What what right now are the biggest challenges you're you're facing and and are they as dynamic as they seem? Like are you like, oh, it's like whack-a-mole or 
Can you speak to the challenges and I guess for the development community and for charge specifically? Sure. So I think the easiest challenge to deal with is actually the interest rates because we can just plug a new number into our performa. Yes, it will not look as good, but we can quantify that and run sensitivities on interest rate exposure. We can also, right now we're working with lenders to be putting in, what's the right word for it? But it's facilities. So any um, purchaser can actually be in qualified at a lower rate and have a locked-in mortgage when they finish. So potentially we're looking at um, around a 3.5% fixed three-year mortgage for any purchaser uh, if you buy with us, and you will be stress-tested then at 5.5%. Um, working with banks with major... Working with banks. So okay. we can help mitigate that risk for our purchasers as well. Right. I say that's the fun, I would say, chart is starting to have, and you can feel the energy in our office of kind of the scale of that we are getting a little bit more, more momentum behind us. So we can put these strategic facilities into place with different organizations to ultimately help the risk of our purchasers. So we try to understand what their pinch points are. Right. So interest rates, I think, is we can mitigate that risk. I think the biggest issue right now is timeline. It is everything is just taking a little bit longer. Uh, the, the requirements that we have to put into the buildings to how we demo the buildings to the tree issues that we have to, uh, to work around, um, everything is taking a little bit longer. And I don't know if that is the work from home culture in some environments, if especially at City Hall, because I think buildings are also built through collaboration. Uh, they're built through rooms like this where we're sitting together and bouncing ideas off of each other and, and having an honest discussion of what we can do and we can't do because in a building, we can't satisfy every obligation. Uh, we can't solve the affordability, the environmental, uh, the transit. We, we can't solve it all within a 130-unit condo building. Right. Um, we can be part of it though. Right. Um, and so what can we do to help? Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. You, you didn't hear, but most people at the city quietly quit during COVID. So... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they they're all coming back. Move to Fraser Valley. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what areas in Vancouver are you most excited about? So I, we've always been a believer in East Vancouver. Um, it's a market that has just, is coming into its own more and more and more. And I think people are just recognizing it. 
Back in 2016, when we purchased the development site for Ellsworth at Main 7th, people thought we were crazy to be buying on Main Street in East Vancouver. Um, most developers were purchasing in what on the west side at this time, and people thought we were going to lose our shirt. Uh, but now it's, it was a few years ago named the coolest street in Canada. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a place that everyone would love to live and envy the individuals who did actually purchase um, in Ellsworth. And I think that that trend is continuing as continue to expand further and further east into Vancouver. But what we're now seeing in East Vancouver is you're now in that neighborhood. You're now in tree-lined streets. Parks are close by. You're still in walking distance to rapid transit, fantastic schools. Um, and now you get the sense of community within these buildings. And so that's where I see that East Vancouver really coming alive because you're still close to downtown. I do think the office culture... By the end of this year, if not by the summer of next year, we'll have settled of what is work from home for every company. I think when I'm in the room with different CEOs, that is still discussed of what is working for each company. So I don't think it's settled yet. Mm. I think give it another year and most companies will figure out what their office requirements are, how they're going to operate, whether allow their staff to operate on, and how you actually attract talent. Because I think that office culture actually is going to have a bigger drive to our residential market than we think. Let's not forget in BC, I think it's 99% of our companies are less than 500 employees, uh, which is also, I think, going to assist us to get through any downturn it always has. That's why Vancouver is a pretty, fairly resilient market. So that compared to, let's see what's happening right now in Seattle, San Francisco, where the tech industry is not doing as well as it used to, there's some major implications to the real estate market. We don't have that as much here just because of how diversified our employment base is. Uh, and so from there... That's where I think we're going to see the residential market respond. And that's also where we're going to see offices respond of where do they work? Are they working in metro town? And people want to live in a 15-minute neighborhood. That's what we're seeing more and more. Right. And, and how do you think, just best guess, how do you think that shakes out? What does it actually look like by summer 2024? It's do really, I have to come in here every day? <laughs> <laughs> Ask your boss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be what position you have in the company and where your own personal growth within a company and how motivated you are as an individual. Which basically goes back to Simon Bray that yeah. we had on at the start of the year, the CEO of, uh, or pre president, I think he goes by, at REW. But he was saying the one thing that a lot of people don't seem to realize is that he, he runs into the same people in the hallway every day at REW. And it's a small company. But those are the people on top of mind, right? Like, oh, that's a bright young guy. It's a huge opportunity young for young people to be in the office. Absolutely. And learn and just get that experience. And so what I have seen with our company is that pro individual productivity was better during COVID with people working from home. But now company productivity is far superior. Interesting. Um, now that people are back in the office most of the days of the week. We still have a flexible work environment. We Our rule is on Tuesdays, you have to be in the office so that you know if you want to talk to someone from accounting or marketing or a different department, they, they will be there. Uh, it's also for us just to build that family culture within our office. But otherwise, we are fairly flexible on work from home. But with that said, I think our company productivity is so up with people back in the office because you can have that quick conversation. You don't need to say, let's organize that Teams meeting to discuss what we discussed in that meeting. Right, um, right. And so we can end less redundancy. That's the bigger one. And and so so kind of shifting back to East Vancouver, because I think everyone knows Char did uh, a lot of development up Main Street. You're pushing East well, with one new project for sure. So it sounds like you're, you're betting on, you know, that proximity to downtown and the 15-minute neighborhood is as being kind of 
crucial moving forward. Can you talk about other areas of East Van that you're excited about? Yeah. And, and just to piggyback on that, I mean, now Mount Pleasant, you know, five, 10 year old buildings are selling 11, 1200 a foot, right? So we're, we're, we're getting close to almost the parts of East Van being completely level with the Kitsilanos of, of Vancouver right? or downtown so, yeah. or downtown. So where, where's the, maybe where's the next Mount Pleasant? So for us, um, we like to say these are calculated investments, not bets. Uh, <laughs> uh, so for us, we do have a project called Earl launching in the Norquay Village uh, neighborhood, and this will be launching in the next month or so. Uh, this is a four-story wood frame, 130 units. It is that uh, we have a, a large interior courtyard in there. So it's that family-friendly project that I think is where we are driving to have that value for the purchaser. It is having that space. The walk, walking out, going grab your coffee quickly, but still enjoying the nature, kind of a little bit more green space uh, versus having a little bit more concrete, I would say. But I think why we're seeing East Vancouver pick up versus Kitsilano is transit. We have rapid transit mm. in East Van. Uh, you can get downtown easily. You can get to Metro Town. You can get to essentially any part of Vancouver and including Kitsilano when we had the Broadway line finish fairly easily now on this new SkyTrain. So I think it's... Tr- access to transit, which is actually really driving the real estate market um, and East Vancouver to have that opportunity. So that's where I, the other aspect I would say is that from a car traffic standpoint, East Vancouver is a, a lot easier to get around town than Kitsilano. Um, and you have a lot more access to take the second arrows if you want to drive up to Whistler for the day or get go up to the Okanagan, you're closer to the highway. So it's just access, I think, is easier in East Van to all around Vancouver. I, I love kits, but yeah, you're right. If you get stuck pretty deep west in kits on oh. like a before rush hour, you're you're kind of hooped. You're hopping on your bike pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. That's big, great bike lanes. It's never good to be on West 4th. <laughs> <laughs> that, so, so Earl is, um, Earl's coming in Norquay Village. Is there, is there a reason, like I'm, I'm kind of curious is Norquay Village specifically like what do you like about about Norquay Village? Because it does seem like there's a lot well, of Norquay seems like a yeah density wise it seems to be there's more opportunity for density. Is that fair to say? I would say moderate density, right? Um, so there's a mature plan in place with the city of Vancouver, um, and so that's where why we felt confident in making that investment in this neighborhood. Quite selfishly, I, I play softball on most Thursday nights in a, <laughs> in a fun beer league. And so we played many softball games over the last decade at that park. And it was kind of more and more time spent there. Like, this is a fantastic neighborhood. Yeah. Right. And so this site is literally a block away from where we played softball for many years. Still do play it. I sure I sound like I am an expert softball player, but let's, <laughs> let's get this straight. We pitched our own team. Um, <laughs> so for us, we... Um, <laughs> It's still really fun, though. Um, For us, though... It's (laughs) T-ball. It should be, yeah. We may actually do better that way. (laughs) But uh, the site's located right behind the Purdy's on Kingsway. So it's it's off the busy street of Kingsway, um, on the artillery of of Earl's, and just a close walk in proximity to the the train. And I think that's really important with great schools around. That, I guess that's kind of what I, I meant by the more density opportunity is, is I feel like what's neat about Norquay is, is there's more development going on in more quiet residential streets, perhaps, mm-hmm. as when compared to, and we actually, we had Mike Bucci on the program not that long ago talking about that 
why do we discriminate? Like, why should condo dwellers have to live on a busy arterial? Like, why, why is that, you know, the case? And, and so why that's, is that even acceptable? Yeah. And why is that acceptable? Right. That I have to have Kingsway going through my living room if I want to be in a condo. Right. It, it, um, and so I think that's kind of maybe what's most exciting for me is, is kind of the, the more moderate density going on on quieter residential streets. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head there with moderate density. We also have to respect as a developer that we bring change to the neighborhood. Change is most of the times people don't like change. This is uncontrollable change for a lot of different neighborhoods because of the need for supply uh, and recognizing that more homes are needed. Uh, and so that's where we have to be respectful, though, I think, of the single family neighborhoods and, and what they represent and how we transition them onto those concrete 10 20-story buildings that are closer to transit, closer to the Kingsway. And that's why I think this being a four-story building, uh, we are next to single-family neighborhoods still, so we get some fantastic views. We do have some stacked townhomes, which will have fantastic outdoor spaces on a fourth floor where you have a full rooftop on top of your townhome. I think it's just, it's being smart with transitions and being respectful to those neighborhoods. I say that's what gives me comfort to go to the city to apply because ultimately working with City Hall is one of our bigger risks. Uh, and how do we make sure we are proposing a project that is fits our brand, let alone in the marketplace, but also at City Hall? Because we we need to work with staff. Staff are there to do the right thing, typically, and they have mandates from council uh, of how they are to work and what they are to approve and how they go about approving it. So it is about working with staff and, and hearing them on their concerns because they are trying to protect ultimately what the stock is and what the city needs to be in the future. Is there a commercial component? No, there's not. You know, one thing that, and this is neither here nor there, but it just, it's a, it's an amazing thing. You know, often when you talk to, you know, we have family members who have built homes and it's like, I drive by the house, you know, I built that, I put the roof on that, whatever. And it kind of, tra- it's similar to us, like, hey, I sold that place or I sold whatever. The The idea that like, you know, a confluence of factors came together for a hotel to come about in Victoria, or in this case, like you played softball in the park and it's like, Hey, this is a great neighborhood. Like it must, it, it's kind of serendipitous in a lot of ways. Like there's so many moving parts and years of teams working together to get this thing through. But it's interesting to think at the start is like, you know, you might've had it at Strathcona park instead of in Norquay, right? And yeah. then maybe the whole world looks different. Uh, or yeah. Or you, if you weren't in that van, crunching those numbers I'm thinking about hotels yeah. right like we, we wouldn't be doing that hotel yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's it's amazing to think uh, about how cities in some ways get built kind of on uh, on loose ideas yeah and whims it's loose ideas and that but that's an entrepreneur you see an opportunity um, right and, and that's the fun side of being an entrepreneur and um I, one of my big criteria i've come to learn when looking at new acquisitions if it doesn't get me excited we're not going to look at it. Right. Um, yeah, we can do a project for to make some fees, make a profit. But I want to drive by that site and be really proud of why we built it and who we built it for. And if we can't do that, then why are we doing what we're doing? You know what? And this, sorry, just thinking about, because I've been thinking about this a lot, just with real estate investing more generally, how you know, often people make a distinction, oh, single uh, homeowners, there's so much emotion. There's so much emotion. And it's true, right? Like that, that, goes without saying. And real estate investors are, you know, it's, does it pencil out or did the numbers work? And I've been thinking about the way I think about 
investing in real estate. And it's kind of that there is uh, some, there's more emotion than people let on, right? Do I like this neighborhood? Do I, would I want to be here? Does this get me excited? Right? Like I was thinking about, I was in Port Moody on the weekend and I'm like, I just really like Port Moody. Like, and sometimes that's the, that's enough. That's enough. And it doesn't get you excited, right? It's kind of the emotion in everything that we're doing. Apart it's the from gut the feeling. Yeah. It's the gut feeling of real estate is a true indicator of, for us as a developer of how we're feeling. When my gut is not feeling great, I hunt it down of why. What is wrong? Um, what's not feeling right? That's where I say I frustrate my team sometimes on uh, just kind of, I, I need answers here, satisfy my gut for us to go. Otherwise, the risk, it, it feels too too high for me. And, and that's where I owe that obligation to, especially to our lenders of just that we we're here to deliver. Um, we, we report to a lot of people as developers. Right. Um, and I'd say the biggest ones we report to are our purchasers because they're making an obligation and a commitment to us. We owe it to them. Um, and so it's that that relationship is really important. You also don't want to be trapped in a project for seven years that you're not excited about, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Want to get to Victoria, I think, and get back to Victoria, uh, not not to the hotel per se, but just just uh, thinking maybe about like Harris Green. I know uh, Nest, um, one of your projects in Harris mm-hmm. Green, which we've talked about on the on the commercial podcast and on the residential podcast. But why why are you excited about Victoria? And are there specific areas in Victoria that you that you're really excited about? And maybe even a little bit about why why you chose Harris Green to do Nest. So Victoria is a very stable market. It's backed by the provincial government, a lot of healthy, steady jobs. Um, it has a very much a growing tech industry uh, and the population and the immigration trends remain really strong and they have over the last decade, especially from interprovincial migration. Uh, we don't have the international migration in Victoria. We definitely have the interprovincial. Uh, and so it's a different trend that we are designing to and acknowledging. The other aspect of Victoria, which we is a larger contributing factor than we may all think, it's the weather. It has 50% less rain typically than Vancouver. Uh, when I was looking at the forecast this morning, it's cloudy and rainy here in Vancouver. It's sunny in Victoria. 50%? It's a significant amount. Yeah. Look for the Victoria Real Estate Podcast coming <laughs> yeah, soon. No kidding. <laughs> That's insane. I didn't know that stat. Yeah. Oh, wow. It, it, it doesn't have normally get the heat because it gets the wind off of the Pacific Ocean compared to Vancouver in the summer days. Um, but that also means we don't get as much rain. And so for there, that drives a lot of inter-provincial migration. And I would say the other one that we're seeing more and more is people test Victoria uh, in their early 60s of, is this a place they want to retire? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely becoming more of a trend. And then we're starting to see now their kids move out to Victoria. Uh, and so we're seeing that families, not just the older gen- generation, are actually moving out. We do quite a bit of work in downtown Victoria. We like to specialize, uh, invest into that active, vibrant 15-minute neighborhood. You can tell this is a theme for us. Uh, we like to say we buy on the fringe, but the fringe is a block off of sure. the downtown. Uh, and that's what really where Nest came from. Uh, We're, again, very similar to Earl's here in uh, Vancouver. We are right on the outside of single-family neighborhood, but next to really vibrant commercial, really vibrant downtown and access to transit. And so it's, again, trying to balance the best of both worlds. Uh, Being right on the fringe is, I think, a great place to be 
to be able to build that neighborhood in that 15 minutes. Uh, we only have five units left now at Nest. We also had, call it a sister building called Haven that we worked with BC Housing on, which was affordable condos that sold 10% below market. Uh, that sold out decently quickly uh, because of the offering of being below market. And Nest, we're looking at completion about spring of next year. Great. Fantastic. I, I, I'm just thinking, you know, going back to the start of this conversation, uh, you, you mentioned a lot of risk mitigation. What do you think the biggest risks are right now to the, to the real estate market? The government. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> That's how I feel too. <laughs> it, it is um, the uncertainty that they bring to the process the uncertainty they bring to the purchasers or to the renters or to anyone moving here, there, there's a lot of talk. And so what is the implication going to be? And everyone has the best intentions. Everyone wants to deliver more housing, um, typically. Uh, we, they do want to see more affordability. They do want people to live a healthier lifestyle. Like The core fundamentals, we all want the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the most frustrating part of being part of the conversation. Typically, as a developer, we are perceived of having self-interest in these conversations, but we also live here too. I live in North Vancouver. I love the neighborhood field where I live um, and creating that with kids on the street when you walk down with your dog. We want that vibrancy and that animation and that culture as well. And so that's where what we bring to the table as developers is that experience of having to go through the process uh, we bring that experience of talking to the end users. It's also, we bring the risk. Uh, we take on the risk here of the actual projects um, and coming up with that vision. And so I think the key with the governments at this point, I would say at the provincial level, is definitely focus on rental. Rental is, I am I am really concerned. I'm optimistic about EB and some of the principles that he's going down. Look forward to seeing further these further announcements. But I think rental needs to be a focus. Otherwise, we're going to be talking about this in 10 years and further concerns on affordability on Mm -hmm. rental rates being $6, $7. We have to be keeping these tied to incomes here um, to keep steady jobs. Um, Maybe as a final question, and we're now uh, approaching an hour, what do you think prices will do in one, three, and five years? What what are your, your... Please be specific. Yeah, <laughs> specific which neighborhoods. Which yeah, Matt. Is. Matt would like you to talk about East Vancouver. <laughs> um, no, but I generally speaking, uh, predictions on the market in the next three to five years. Sure, I, I know. As when I listen to the podcast, I love details, so I'll try to go as detailed. <laughs> uh, hopefully, people don't hold any of this against me. So let's start with the rental market. I do think we're going to see a double-digit increase in the rental rates here this year. I think the following year, we will start to see that drop down to around 3-4%, and we'll see a 3 to 4% rate increase here um, for a year or two after that. I think the big one that we have to watch on the rental rates is going to be allowable rent increase annually of what the government does. They've obviously capped that five of the last six years of not actually following uh, inflation. So I think that's one we're going to have to watch um, to see how that impacts the rental rates. But I do think we're going to see some fairly strong rental rate growth. Uh, just due to the immigration trends and the federal government has been very clear they're not stopping those trends. On resale and pre-sale, I think what we've seen is around a 10 to 15% decrease over the last eight months. I think we'll see that rebound back to par uh, by the summer of next year. Um, I, I do think we're going to start to see confidence come back into the marketplace um, as interest rates, I think, will stay flat. I think we're going to see the interest rate we have today 
I wouldn't be surprised if we still have it in December. And I think at that point, maybe we'll start to see uh, interest rates start to come down, not by much and not too quickly, though, in 2024. But I think just have starting to see that confidence of interest rates going down, people will make decisions, the, their, their lifestyles will change at that point, and people will stop being on the sidelines and realize they do have to move and have the confidence to do that. So I do think we'll see it will be back to early 2022 pricing by the summer of 2024. I love the specific. I wish everybody took a page from uh, Byron's book here and got really into the like nitty-gritty. But, but it's worth noting, right? Like all your decisions are based on these forecasting models and and you have a team together. Like I'm not taking yeah. anything away from you here. I'm saying you, this is not like pie in the sky. You're, this is, you're making huge decisions based on putting this data together and and sorting it out. We have a fantastic analytical team in-house. Um, they spend a lot of time looking at data, looking at trends. Uh, we, we research data. I love data too much, um, as I think that my team would probably say too. Um, but it's fascinating. And so we spend a lot of time on looking at those. I, I'll say my last market forecast will be hotels. Unfortunately, I, we don't have enough hotel rooms. Vancouver, uh, Victoria, I think it is going to start to impact the tourism industry more and more as we've heard mm-hmm. how vocal they are sure. about how much we need hotels. I know Marcon has recently proposed one in downtown Vancouver. That should be expedited. We need more hotel rooms to keep tourism going, to keep jobs. It, we, you shouldn't need to pay $800 a night in Crazy. Vancouver. It, Vancouver's insane. Yeah. yeah. And we do have this segment, Byron, uh, called the Five Wire. <laughs> Five lighthearted questions that we end every show. Do you have time to stick around for that? If I, I do recall this session, it's not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> the Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Start with number one, one book that you would recommend. Uh, I've actually read quite a few here. I've been focusing more on, I say, management books. I'll say a book that our entire management team read recently was the, I think it's the five dysfunctions of, of management. I'm not getting that right. But ultimately, it it helped us as me as a younger leader, also just how we go about creating the trust and creating the honesty, healthy dialogue, healthy conflict uh, for us to be all trying to operate to the same goal. Uh, and you can really see the momentum of our management team. Um, you, and you can just feel that energy again in our office of the, the trust, the healthy, healthy conflict, asking the tough questions, um, assessing our risk. Um, it, it's awesome to see. Mm. Healthy conflict. I like it. In the last few years, and I think you've answered this before, but hopefully we'll get something else, uh, on something new. In the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I've been drinking a lot more of sparkling water. Oh, I thought you were going to say I, booze. I, <laughs> <laughs> and so the sparkling water is making me drink less uh, on the booze. Oh, interesting. So I uh, sometimes you do get cravings at night of, oh, that'd be great to have a gin and tonic or something, yeah, but sure. have a sparkling water. As I actually so find it. That it, bites. It bites. Fancy, fancy drinks. This is my wife's thing, but uh, she'll often, if she just, she doesn't need a an actual drink, 
She just wants like a fancy drink, something that feels different than the regular, you know, bottle of water, coffee or whatever, right? So I I had a a privilege of going for lunch uh, recently with the VP of food services at Hyatt uh, for their global chain. Uh, And so his comment was that mocktails are the biggest trend right now in all of their hotels. uh, And they are having to come out with more and more mocktail uh, menus. And that is the biggest trend right now in North America. I wonder if that coincides with like... Every single well, well, beer, but the, all the studies on alcohol, right? And and just how how toxic. Because uh, I feel like now, you know, there's ten pod like big podcasts that put out a show like every week about how how bad alcohol. Well, yeah, is I was being. at the Canucks game last week, and the guy I was with said, "Yeah, it's the new tobacco." It totally like, is. Ugh. It totally is. It's killjoy here. <laughs> it feels that way though. So I wonder I wonder if that's uh coincides. I would I would think so. I would think so. And I, I think it's this is a COVID trend as well. I think we all drank a little bit more, maybe. This is so COVID. I was gonna Actually, say remember not. during COVID when it was like everybody's drinking so much. Now it's just but it does as far as I understand, it's uh younger people too are not drinking. Like you're not the binge culture doesn't exist the way it did in fifteen, twenty years ago or whatever. I also think this is inflation. We are seeing People's wallets get pinched a little bit more. Um, Alcohol is is an expensive. uh, And so I think we are starting to see that pinch of inflation. And people are making choices because of it. Um, And we haven't seen, people haven't needed to make some of those choices before. Uh, And they are seeing that they actually need to make that choice. And and that's one that we're seeing people Mm -hmm. eliminate. There's a new alcohol tax too, isn't there? It's coming out. It's minor. It's minor? (laughs) Yeah. What have you been binge watching lately uh, or a movie recommendation? So I'm not a movie individual. I don't. I don't have the patience to sit there normally for two hours. Uh, I get too fidgety. Um, I would, I'm. I'm more of a sports in, a guy. I, I like watching different sports, live sports, uh, binge watching. I would say you. Okay. Yeah. I've watched watch most of the episodes of you. I've seen the. It's uh, a spin of Dexter. I would say oh, a really similar okay. type of concept, okay. and I loved a guy that Dexter. falls in love with women and then ultimately kills them i think is yeah. the is the concept but it's it's a uh, it's yeah it's interesting netflix yeah. Right? Yeah, funny enough too my dog's yeah. name is dexter so <laughs> <laughs> all right uh what sport any sport I would say, i'm just uh i'd say I'd, hockey though i i hope the canucks can uh oh my god get yeah. into the playoffs next year yeah, yeah no kidding uh okay favorite band or music i will go with um oh so always really like the Killers. Um, I would say is up there, but I think you mentioned that last. I think time. I did too. Stanley Park. Was yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would say I'm I'm going to the con- John Mayer concert on Monday. Oh, nice. Um, oh. So I'm looking forward to. I, I do like his music quite a bit, so I'll, I'll say him this time. That'll All be great. Right. Uh, and last but not least, something you've purchased for under fifteen hundred dollars that's had a positive impact on your life in the last few years. That is a tough question. I remember this one getting asked last time too. I should have prepared better for this one. Um, you can bump it up to two thousand if that helps. <laughs> it's going to go lower than that. Um, I, I'll, I'll take the spin another way because um, I would say I've started to go to Barry's, the workout oh, yeah. class, a lot more. I hear so. that's like the, the. Can you go to a class for under two thousand? See, that's why I thought I'd bring it up because it's not cheap. Uh, <laughs> it's not cheap. But it's uh, I really actually enjoy it. It's kind of a mix of a, a change, good run, good workout, and so I, at Christmas time when they had a sale, I bought uh, a package there, and so I, I heard I that's like that. one of the best workouts in town, though. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty motivating. You go in, and I'd say I'm in my just my head right at work, and 
I leave kind of, okay, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I forced myself. So it's a, it's a great workout. I don't even know if I've heard of this workout. I hadn't either, but... Uh, it's called Berries? I, I know a few oh, people that have gone Let's recently. go sometime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's, a, it's a popular spot though. Yeah, and if you want to see real estate people, there's a lot of real estate people that go to the, I go bet. To the workout. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Berries. All, All right. Check. Matt, Matt will be there. I'll, I'll be there. Uh, how can people find out more about Chard and uh, and what you're doing, Byron? Sure. So best way to reach out to me is on LinkedIn, Byron Chard. And then otherwise, I would say chardevelopment.com. That's our website. If you My personal email address is bchard at chardevelopment.com if you do want to email me. Um, always happy to connect, discuss real estate, um, and share what we're doing and kind of our strategy to real estate because I do feel like we are doing something a little special, a little unique here in the Vancouver market where we have some of the most sophisticated developers in North America. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Byron, for taking the time and and so good to have you in the studio for a change. I uh, appreciate you coming down. Well, thank you for having me. This has been fun. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with CEO and president of Chard Developments, Byron Chard. Really enjoyed having Byron in the studio. I'm not surprised you didn't know what Barry's was, but uh, I'll tell you who did. You. My wife. <laughs> uh, she's gone. Uh, I, I just knew it through. I knew it yeah. through uh, Sabrina and Jen who uh, who go there on a kind of on a regular. It's like a treat, though, because like I don't think it's, it's very expensive, I think, to have like a... right. Like, a, I don't think any... Well, you showed sure me a video people. after. I was like, oh, it's like F45. And you're like, nothing like F45. It's actually crazy. It's like, I, my my sense of uh, looking at the video afterwards was like, you're you're running on a treadmill, then you're like doing... It's, it sounds it almost like... almost it's, seems like it's, you're in a dance club. No. I think it's just like a lot of different training, but it, it's, oh. I think it's interval. It seemed like dark and uh, with oh, like... Oh, yeah. Like, it's got like that orange whatever light kind of uh, vibe. Yeah. Lots of, there's like a different color. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you're almost in a night. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I thought you were suggesting it was more aerobic. No, 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 no. All weights. I actually, (laughs) God, we're doing the worst commercial (laughs) for berries. They're going to drop us. Uh, No, anyways. uh, What else do we got for today, man? What else do we have? We have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website, our new website. Tons of positive feedback. It's just so great that people are actually finding uh, the content we're producing here and and finding it in useful ways on the website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah. And I want to do a quick shout out to Instagram as well. Not not just to Instagram, yeah. but our Instagram. And I want to shout out to Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> adds Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, which is our handle on Instagram. I think a lot of people from the VREP community have joined us over there. What we're trying to do is we're trying to basically engage with people more in a way where like we're learning so much just from the community. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that we're posting over there. Uh, today, a story about LaneFab uh, getting denied again on their latest proposal for the small lot in Vancouver. The, yeah, which is uh, on like what Charles, I think Charles and Victoria. Oh, it's man. so frustrating. It that is the city pushes back on anything interesting. I know. I was I was thinking about uh, uh, Bryn and and uh, yeah. Anyways, it's a saga. Um, but it's funny. Everybody's watching, and it's yeah. in the news. So um, it's funny that at least there's some good press coming Bryn, out of this. Bryn said on Twitter. I saw it on Twitter that. He was surprised. This is I'm gonna paraphrase. He was surprised at how hostile the city 
staff oh, was man. towards the project. <laughs> like, Isn't it crazy? I just don't understand. I don't yeah. understand. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's just a, it's a, we have a housing issue <laughs> city. Uh, anyways, but um, yeah. So keep an eye on, uh, on our Instagram, tons of useful content being produced. Uh, you just had a video. I can't remember what you were talking about. What were you, you were, you were on about. Oh, something. I've had a couple. Yeah. On about like, the feedback's just been incredible. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, it is. It's a lot of fun producing that content for it sure. Is, so yeah. yeah, that's at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast over on Instagram. And if you're on TikTok, which you probably shouldn't be, uh, we're on there as well. Yeah, which we shouldn't be. <laughs> but anyway, Adam, uh, before we go, we should say sold plan again. That's at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have the live wire. This is our weekly mailer. Again, some pretty startling uh, deal sale space still, if you can believe it, even with the market picking up. We have some deals on the live wire stats before anyone else. We also have, of course, private client services. And now it's not just VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com slash PCS, which I believe you can still do. Go to buy with us. Buy There's with a us. button that says buy with us on the new site. Couldn't make it any easier. Or clearer. Uh, yeah, exactly. But if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips. You can go over to the website, click buy with us, sign up for your own free account. Uh, someone will be in touch to set it up. It takes about two minutes. And then you can access all the sold information for whichever area you're monitoring. And I'm telling you, right now is one of the best times. It's always a good time to have PCS, but right now specifically is if you want to really be tapped into the market. The other thing I'll mention is I just did a, a video that's going to be on our Instagram about sales ratios oh, and how the smartest people in real estate really, really double down on, uh, on their understanding of, uh, sales ratios and, and we use sales ratios and we've got a, a very unique service for understanding sales ratios. So if you want to get in touch about that, we will send you out the most recent report. Well, we're and we send that out on the live wire. Yeah. And we send it out on the live wire as well. So you can get in touch that way, but really man. And I mean, just, uh, this, this video that I posted in thinking about how much money we have been able to make on the buy side and the sell side for people from the assistance of sales ratios. Yeah. Like just knowing how, like, like really, and, and it's, it's really straightforward, you know, it's, uh, it, but a it's, lot of people either don't think about it or don't have the data. Like right. that's literally it. They, they just don't have the data, but we literally have report cards. Like that's the way I think of it. It's a report card for your sub area, for your sub price band. And it tells you exactly how your market is doing. And if you're if you get an A, we can make you some money on the sell side. And I and if you're a buyer and and you know you get a more of a, a D, you know <laughs> yeah. we can uh, we can help you get a deal as well. So, anyways, Matt, how can people get in touch with you if you want to talk about that that metaphor or anything else? Yeah. Uh, give me a call at any time seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or if you still don't understand what a report card is. I also uh, don't. I'm still confused. Yeah. I know I'm more confused than I've ever been. You can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We'll have a great week, guys. And next week, we've got a very exciting show about real estate investing and uh, the T-Dot, the big smoke. Yeah. Stay tuned. Enjoy the week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.